This is Mike Lindstedt, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project. You are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we're back on our podcast series entitled Biblical Answers to Modern Issues. And as usual, I'm here with my buddy, my pal, my pastor, Pastor Chad Wiles. Chad, how you doing, bud? Doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I like to mix up these introductions. I like to catch you with the buddy pal pastor thing every now and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you've been listening to our podcast over the past couple of years, you know that that was my go-to intro. And Chad started to get a little, <laughs> I think he got a little like irritated after a no, while. So I had to no, cut it back off. <laughs> no, never, never. But of course, man, you are my friend and you are definitely yeah. my pastor. So uh, It's all those things. I'm grateful to be doing this podcast with you. And listener, we are going to be looking at a portion of scripture today that is so pertinent to our day and age. It's going to be on the topic of tongues. Now, tongues... Controversial. For some reason, (laughs) has always been, Mm -hmm. as we're going to see in our text today, Mm -hmm. a controversial issue. Yeah, even in the Corinthian church. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. It's not some like new phenomenon, right? Um, It's always been this this, uh, sort of dividing line, if you will. And um, unfortunately, there's a ton of confusion surrounding this particular gift. Um, As we're going to see, this confusion was also in the Corinthian church. But the pastor, Paul, really is being a good pastor here. And he's not trying to um, demean or belittle the Corinthians' eagerness in their pursuit of these spiritual gifts. But what he's trying to do is really set their priorities straight. What he's trying to do is to teach them about the differences between what they have known all their life growing up in a Greek and Roman pagan culture where they actually saw these ecstatic utterances all the time in pagan worship ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to differentiate that to what the actual sign gift of tongues is. And so I think just at the outset, I wanted to make mention of that, Chad, that I believe that one of the reasons why this particular gift is so hotly debated is because we actually see the speaking of ecstatic ecstatic utterances in other quote-unquote, religions, yeah. in pagan worship ceremonies. Yeah, connected to the Gentile nations. And so if we don't know what the true biblical gift is, then we're really likely just to sort of conflate the two and think they're the same thing, which they are, in fact, not. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into that today. We're going to do a couple of podcasts, I'm sure, um, on this topic of tongues. Yeah, And um, I think it's just going to be absolutely necessary. There's so much. There's so much stuff that we need to really bring out as yeah. far as the cultural context, the literary and grammatical little sort of morsels that are tucked away mm-hmm. in here, um, which I'm going to point out. There's so much here. So we'll probably, Chad, you know, we were talking before we got on, we're going to do the whole chapter today. No, we're not. We're just going to do the first <laughs> 25 verses and yeah. maybe we'll get through all of them in this podcast. But um, yeah, you got deep. you got anything to say before we, before we jump into the cultural background here? No, um... In terms of what this passage is talking about, one thing that you just said as we opened here, which I agree with, is this is hooked to the issue of pride, a, a desire yes. to 
want to have something special within our own selves from God instead of desiring to just obey the Lord and humbly be a servant, right? And that's yeah. what the Corinthian church is doing. It's these gift of tongues were same as their class systems, that sign of a prideful sign of uh, being special right? in that way. So I think that it would do us well to really think this through in terms of if this is a struggle for you, for instance, why do you why do you so desperately want it to be true? Would be the question. Yeah. If it's not used for the purposes we've already talked about, for the purpose of his church and, and for his glory and mm-hmm. for the advancement of his kingdom, why do you why do you want this thing in your why do you want tongues in your life? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That'd be my question. And as you're going to see, listener, Paul really does speak to the individual. He speaks to the larger corporate body. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really does, I think, honestly, just lay this whole issue to rest. Once we really understand the context of the book of 1 Corinthians, mm-hmm. that it's a letter of correction. Mm-hmm. It's not anything other than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, as if you've been listening to our podcast series, listener, on this book, it's just correction after correction after correction. That's the whole book of 1 Corinthians. Yeah. He's correcting b- wrong behavior. Yeah, constantly. That's what he's doing. So we're going to see that same that same thread running through this, like you just mentioned, Chad, that thread mm-hmm. of pride. Mm-hmm. But before we dive into our text today, we got to do uh, quite a good amount of just biblical um, uh, context and yeah. also cultural context. Yeah. So I think what we're going to do is if you have a Bible in front of you, turn to Acts chapter 2, because we need to even see what this biblical gift of tongues is. Let's not assume anything, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's actually just go to the scriptures. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, I'll read it. And then we'll we'll discuss it. But what we're seeing here is the birthing of the church. Yeah, it is the the very beginning of the church age. It's it's occurring in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter two. Mm-hmm. And so I'll read verses one through thirteen. Let's see what happened here. It says, and on the day of Pentecost, and when it had, it had fully come, all the disciples were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues like fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. And were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So they were astounded and marveling, saying, Behold, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language in which they were born? Parinthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, of Judea and Cappadocia, of Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, and the district of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretan and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Mm-hmm. And, they all, and they all continued in astonishment and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, were saying, they're just full of new wine. <laughs> so that is the account, the biblical record of the Holy Spirit falling on the 120 disciples. We know that's 120 from the first chapter. On the 120 disciples during the Feast of Pentecost, and this was the beginning of the church 
the called out ones. Mm -hmm. The body of Christ was birthed into the world through the promise of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 5. The promise of the Holy Spirit was given. Finally, it had been talked about all the way back in the Old yeah, Testament. That's right. And here it is. Wow. And the differentiation is the Holy Spirit was still alive and active in the Old Testament. But here in the New Covenant, now the believers will have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He won't just come and go. It'll For the believers, he'll be with us always. He indwells us permanently. Yeah. Yes. Praise the Lord. So this is where we see the first mention of this phenomenon, tongues. Yeah. The word is uh, the, a Greek word that literally just means known languages. Like that's what it means. Yeah. It means language, right? Right. Now, when, it, when it's used, it depends on the context, right? Clearly here, this is a supernatural phenomenon in mm -hmm. which these Galileans are speaking multiple languages. I mean, verses 9 through 11 are all these different ethnic groups of people. Mm -hmm. And so these 120 disciples who didn't have this ability to speak these languages before, are all of a sudden speaking this language. And you know what they're doing, Chad? Mm -hmm. They are, as verse 11 says, declaring the mighty deeds of God. Right, there's a purpose for yes. it. Yes. Now, that's an interesting phrase. It's an important right. phrase, mighty deeds of God. We see this phrase used a lot in the Old Testament mm -hmm. in specific reference to the deliverance of the Israelite people from Egypt, mm -hmm. right? They were delivered by his strong hand or strong arm and by miraculous wonders and mighty works, right? Right. So that's, that's very important to know. Another important element of what's going on here is also found in the Old Testament at the Tower of Babel. Right, mm -hmm. we have to understand there's a bigger picture going on here, listener. Yeah, this is not just some random weird phenomenon that's mm -hmm. happening for no reason. What happened at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 was that the entire world spoke one language at that point, mm -hmm. and basically they all got together. And instead of fulfilling the command of God to multiply and be fruitful and spread throughout the world, mm -hmm. what they said was no. We're all just going to gather here on the plain of Shinar right. and build this massive uh, ziggurat, actually is what it was, yeah. this big temple up to the heavens, and we're just going to make civilization here. We're not going to do what God said and go take dominion of the earth. We're going to stay here. And we're going to try to get to heaven all by ourselves. That's right. And so what does God do? He comes down, takes a look, looks at the evidence. It's clear that they are disobeying me. So he confuses their languages or their language. Yeah. And then he scatters them across the earth because God's word always has its effect. Yeah. And so what we see in then in this chapter, Acts chapter 2, is the reversal, in mm -hmm. one sense, of the Tower of Babel. Right. They're not all speaking the same language necessarily, but the topic of that language, the subject of that language is all unified around the mighty deeds of God. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. The church is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. He is drawing in all those people. At, at one point, he had scattered mm -hmm. and bringing them into one people, the body of Jesus Christ. Some of you guys may have never heard that before, <laughs> but that is yeah. a big deal to That's understand. That's a big deal, yeah. That's a big deal. Now, just like the Tower of Babel was a unique one-time event, so is this event. Right. Unique one-time event. And it's just important we can't reiterate enough that it means actual languages yes actual language they heard it all in their own language so that means and i don't mean this derogatory but 
jibber jabber, frantic laughing, all the things you see in charismatic movements have nothing to do with what this scripture is talking about. Nor are those things unique to that movement. As yeah. we've already said, they are also found outside of quote-unquote Christianity. Right, pagan worship. So we're going to talk about that in detail as we move forward. But this isn't the only um, instance of this spiritual phenomenon occurring in the book of Acts. It actually happens two more times uh, explicitly. Mm-hmm. In chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, Peter visits a Roman uh, soldier's house. This particular soldier was a leader. His name is Cornelius. And long story short, Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter is drawn to to Cornelius' house basically through God's providence, through a dream, and then the dream actually takes place. And Peter declares the gospel to the house of Cornelius, and what do you know that happens? The Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius' house, Mm -hmm. and everyone in the house begins to speak in these known languages, and they declare the mighty deeds of God, and they're saved. Mm -hmm. This is a big deal. I'm going to turn there just to, to, to bring up a couple of serious points that we have to understand because another cultural note is this. Peter was a Jew and Cornelius was a Gentile. Mm. You know who didn't like each other? Jews and Gentiles. Right. <laughs> in fact, Jews were so disfavorable in their views of Gentiles that even to enter into Cornelius's house for mm. Peter would render him unclean. And by the way, going back to he was a Roman soldier, that also shows Cornelius's humility yeah. to allow a Jew into his house when many of the Roman soldiers were trying to get the believers out. That's and, right. And put them in jail. Right. And so that happens in chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, specifically in the book of Acts. And then in the next chapter, Peter gives a report to those who are in Jerusalem about this fact that the Holy Spirit that fell on them back in Acts chapter 2 also fell on the Gentiles. Wow. Look at Acts chapter 11. And I'll let's see, I'll read here from, from verse 15 to 18. This is Peter speaking. He says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, referring to Cornelius' house, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, quote, John baptized you with water, referring to John the Baptist, mm-hmm. but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, end quote. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could prevent God's way? And when they heard this, they all quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so the Gentiles also have been included into the body of believers, or we could say it this way, are also part of the covenant people of God mm-hmm. as, as based on the new covenant. And then there's one more time in the book of Acts where we see this spiritual phenomenon occur. It's in Acts chapter 19, specifically in verses one through seven. This is the apostle Paul. And it says that while it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper regions and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we haven't even heard if there's a Holy Spirit to be received. And he said, well, then into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Mm -hmm. Okay, so John's baptism was a baptism of what, Chad? Repentance, Repentance, right? This was a a acknowledgement of your sinful condition and a turning turning from that. And a turning back to the law at the time. Yes. Before, 
you know, Christ obviously makes the new covenant. Right. So that's what they said that they had been baptized into, verse 4 in chapter 19. Then Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him, capital H, who was coming after him, lowercase h, that is, in Jesus. Yeah. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Now there were about 12 men in all. Now, why this random little group of 12 disciples of John the Baptist? Mm -hmm. I think it's very significant. John the Baptist was extremely famous at this portion of time. Yeah. I mean, in fact, back in the Gospels, it says that like all the people in Judea and Jerusalem were coming out to be baptized by this guy. Mm -hmm. So he had a big following. Yeah. Now, we don't have any information about these guys other than that they were baptized into his baptism. Yeah. But rest assured, when they had the supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they started to tell everybody, John's baptism is not what will save you. Mm -hmm. You need the Spirit of God, right? Right. So I think also that John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Mm -hmm. So this is almost putting its official stamp on the end of the Old Testament prophet age. Yes. Right? Now, there are prophets during the New Testament. Yeah. We see that. But there's like a crossover effect that some theologians right. call this here. You have like 40 years of this crossover, like a passing of the baton, I've heard it described, yeah, yeah, yeah. where the Old Covenant sort of ends and the New Covenant comes into effect. Yeah. And now, listener, we are definitely in the new covenant. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's gone. Because the because the, the temple's gone. Right. And on top of all that, this also is fulfilling the prophecy of John the Baptist when he says that his whole thing was to prepare the way for for Christ. So it would make sense to that those disciples would be entered into the new way, which mm -hmm. was obviously now a belief in Christ and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So those are the three um, instances of this supernatural phenomenon in the book of Acts. Now, a lot of people who believe in tongues as a second blessing, quote unquote, or even um, I forgot what denomination holds this as part of their doctrine, but there's probably more than one. Yeah. But some, some denominations think you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Well, let me just point this out, okay? Mm -hmm. There's tons of salvations that happen in the book of Acts. Yeah. Here's just a... A few. Yeah, give us a list. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 is saved. You know what doesn't happen at his salvation? Tongues. He doesn't speak in tongues. The Ethiopian political official in Acts chapter 8, verses 34 through 39. Mm -hmm. No tongues. Reads the... Isaiah. Isaiah 53. Yep. Philip runs up, interprets it to him. Yeah. He's saved. You know what doesn't happen? No tongues. Yeah. How about this? The thousands of believers in Jerusalem who were saved on the Feast of Pentecost... 3,000 in total, yeah. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. You know what didn't happen there? Tongues. Tongues. 2,000 more are saved in chapter 4, verse 4. You know what didn't happen there? No tongues. No tongues. That's 5,000 people right. that the Bible says were saved, and yet there's zero mention of tongues. Hmm. Hmm. If it was absolutely critical that you speak in tongues yeah. to be saved, it would have been mentioned there. In fact, if it was absolutely critical that you speak in tongues to be saved, you know where else would be mentioned? In Romans, in Ephesians, mm -hmm. in Galatians, in all of the old, uh, all of the New Testament epistles. Right, right. You know where it's not mentioned? In Romans. <laughs> <laughs> any, right? any of the New Testament. It's not mentioned anywhere. Now, I'm saying this not to speak in a condescending manner. I'm saying this, brothers and sisters, to open your eyes to the biblical reality. Yeah. Tongues does not save you. No. Just like baptism does not not save you it's for a specific time for specific purposes only <clears throat> but 
Yeah, it has nothing to do with our salvation before a holy God. Right. That's in Christ alone, through faith alone. That's it. That's it. That's it. So that's the biblical context, okay, in mm-hmm. which this supernatural gift occurs. All right. And there's obviously tons more that can be said about that. Mm-hmm. But what about the pagan version of tongues that the Corinthians grew up with? Yeah. They, this was normal to them, by mm-hmm. the way. Like this, they saw this all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. The pagan uh, version of tongues was known as ecstasy. Okay. Uh, when you communed with the deity, which I'm going to explain how that was done in just a second, yeah. you reached a state of ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we have a pill called ecstasy. We do. <laughs> And yeah, it's, it's it's similar, super gnarly, and it's actually very similar in the same things that it causes you to do, right? And think, mm-hmm. one of the ways um, that that a worshiper could reach this state was through a drunken orgy. Mm-hmm. This is real life, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the common features, depending on the god that was being worshipped, was this drunken orgy, specifically two gods, and these both of these gods were in Corinth. In fact, one of them. And the way that it was worshipped was the reason why the Corinth uh, Corinthians had such a <laughs> uh, bad reputation of being totally immoral. Yeah. Okay, the god Aphrodite, the goddess mm-hmm. of sexual love and beauty. This is the goddess of known as Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. The Corinthian temple to her employed one thousand, some estimations, one thousand cultic prostitutes, in which they they lived in this temple. They worked in this temple and. You, if you wanted to go worship Aphrodite, would participate in a drunken orgy with these prostitutes, these cultic priest prostitutes. Mm -hmm. You would drink to excess and have sex to excess, and this was thought to bring you into the state of ecstasy where you communed with the deity. This is what's going on. Mm -hmm. The other god was the Greek uh, god Dionysus. His Roman name, and this will mean a lot to those who like to... uh, party down in New Orleans around yeah. February. Yeah. Uh, the Roman name of Dionysus was Bacchus, mm. right? Don't mm. we have a Bacchus mm-hmm. parade, yeah. right? During Mardi Gras? <laughs> yeah. This is the god of wine and drunkenness. So the Bacchus parade, you're celebrating the god of drunkenness, just mm. so you guys know that. Yeah. Um, I know we like to try to like detach the spiritual implications. Well, it's just a good family thing, whatever. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, a couple thousand years ago, it wasn't just a good family thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> They thought it that, that these gods really did exist. And we know as Bible-believing Christians that, yeah, the spiritual realm is very real, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, that parade is not doing the things that these Corinthians did, but I yeah. can guarantee you there are celebrations that aren't publicized that are happening like that in oh, the city yeah. of New Orleans. For sure. So that's just the that's that's just two examples of the pagan version of uh these worship ceremonies and, and in this state of ecstasy, what would bubble up out of their mouth at points when they tried to speak were these ecstatic utterances known as tongues, mm-hmm. right? So we see a version of quote unquote tongues occurring in both the pagan realm and in the spiritual, uh, I'm sorry, in the Christian realm. Mm-hmm. And what Paul is trying to do and what he does, I think effectively in chapter 14 is point out the difference and says, stop trying to get the pagan gift mm-hmm. and stop being syncretistic and trying to apply the pagan gift in Jeez. this realm. Yeah, yeah. You see? Mm-hmm. So, like I said, the Corinthian church grew up with this pagan perspective of this gift of tongues. 
Uh, and Paul's trying to basically reconfigure their perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, before we get into the exposition and the reading of the text, Shad, do you have any final notes to say? No, I thought you laid it out really well. And um, this is the reason why it's important to understand the scriptures rightly. It's, it's often, <clears throat> when we read it on a surface level, you miss the spiritual implications of what's being said. Yeah. <clears throat> and so hopefully this has been a helpful time just of background because the right hermeneutic is when you get the historical context and and the literal grammatical understanding, now we get what God's actually saying. What What is Paul trying to actually say Yeah, that is applied to us as well? And speaking of that literal and grammatical context, I have to make mention before we read the text, there is a very important grammatical change that occurs here with the word tongues in, mm -hmm. in the Greek. So Paul... Um, in his in his effort to identify the pagan usage, mm -hmm. when we hear the word tongue used in the singular in chapter 14, he's referring to that. Yeah. When we hear the word tongues in the plural, he's referring to the spiritual Holy Spirit empowered divine gift. Yeah. Okay. Now we know this for for a fact. The King James Version translates the singular usage, which is again referring to the pagan usage as quote-unquote unknown tongues, yeah. you see? Now, the word in Greek means known tongue. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it was William Tyndale who did the King James Version. Mm -hmm. He knew this. He, he grew up in a pagan culture as well. He understood mm -hmm. this. So he wanted to make sure that it was clear in the text when you read through it in the King James Version that what when Paul refers to the pagan usage of the gift of tongues, the King James translates it unknown tongues. And that's in verse 2, verse 4, verse 13, verse 14, verse 19, and verse 27, okay? So very important grammatical thing to understand. And it's not immediately obvious when you read it, but when you start to get into the Greek, you understand it very clearly. Mm -hmm. So why don't I just go ahead and read verses um, 1 through, let's see here, uh, 17. And Chad, why don't you read verses 18 through 25? Okay. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Pursue love yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and encouragement. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. But I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he translates, so that the church may receive edification. But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you, unless I speak to you either by a way of revelation, or of knowledge, or of prophecy, or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, like the flute or the harp, in producing a, st a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the trumpet produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue a word that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of sounds in the world, and none was, is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the sound, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you... Since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may translate. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. 
What is the out, what is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the uninformed say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to those people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are, you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Wow. What a powerful way to end that section mm. there, because that I've actually heard that from so many people that you know God has brought into our church at the field yeah. um, about their experience at churches that were doing these kind of things. They're like, I, I don't know what's going on here. You know, and they like <laughs> left the church because they like, right. didn't know what was happening. It was confusing. Yeah, it's confusing for sure. But let's walk through the text here. So verse 1 we're going to spend a little bit of time on. Remember, this is coming off of the back of the great chapter on love, where in verse 8, Paul says that love will never, ever fall from its high place of prominence mm. amongst the spiritual gifts. Why? Because it is the essence of who God is. Who God is, right? So pursue love is what he says, right? Uh, and that word pursue, when it's compared to the next phrase, yet eagerly desire spiritual gifts, is very important mm -hmm. because pursue literally means to be put to flight, but implies this, Chad, this is interesting, yeah. to persecute. It's a very strong verb that he's using. Yeah. And in fact, it's only, it's only translated um, in a way that isn't related to persecution here, mm -hmm. okay? So literally, Paul's saying, run swiftly to yeah. catch love, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, persecute it. <laughs> yeah, go after it. Go after it, like you're trying to get it, right? Right. Yet, and I love his pastoral tone here, Yet, earnestly desire, right? In other words, set your heart on is the, is the way you could mm -hmm. say this Greek word. To be deeply committed to something is the meaning of this word, right? Yeah. It's actually an automatic, automatopoeic, uh, no, automatopoetic oh. word, <laughs> which is imitating the sound of boiling water. It's like this bubbling up, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. sound, the word is. So I love this because you can hear his pastoral tone already beginning here. Yeah. Again, he's not trying to demean them. He's not trying to cut off their enthusiasm. He's just trying to turn it in the right direction. Yeah. Paul knows what it is to be enthusiastic in all the wrong ways, right? Oh, yeah, he's been zealous. Yeah, he was killing Christians, right? Yeah, yeah. And God didn't stop his enthusiasm. He just nudged it in the, well, I wouldn't say nudged oh, it. He forced it. it. He turned it. <laughs> in the right direction, right? Yeah. And sometimes we need that as, as immature believers, like the Corinthians were, as fleshly carnal believers, as he called them in chapter three. Mm -hmm. We need right teaching. Yeah. Okay, we've got the raw materials, right? Mm -hmm. and, and our, I know this is true for me. Yeah. I was super zealous for it. I didn't know what I was zealous for. I just knew I was zealous, <laughs> right? About everything. Yeah. But with the right teaching, with God's grace and patience, he's really started to channel that, 
yeah. in what when what really matters, right? Right, the right zeal. And that comes with good pastors, right? Well, and I love to this the differentiation. You see this in Galatians um, five as well mm-hmm. in um, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Yeah, right here it's pursuing love. That's an action. That's a command. That's an obedience factor. Mm-hmm. We are to pursue love. We are to obey it. We yeah. are to be it. But spiritual gifts, remember, they're given by God however he wants to give them. Yeah. So it's okay to want them. It's okay to like want to know what the Lord's really gifted you as, but that's not the point. Right. And, it, and if he doesn't give you a certain gift, then it doesn't. it's okay that yeah. you don't have it. it it's, not, it's not an obedience factor here. And I'm glad you brought that up because the question immediately arises, if it is God's prerogative to give out these gifts as he wills, and if we can't learn how to, you know, do these gifts, like we said many times now, mm-hmm. well, then what does it mean practically to earnestly desire these gifts, right? Like, what is Paul actually right. saying here? Because on one hand, it sounds like, Chad, well, it's God's, it's up to him. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm just going to sit here and wait for mine, right? Yeah. No, that's not what Paul is saying, yeah, yeah. right? And so let's let's turn to Galatians 5, because yeah. I think this is going to give us the biblical answer. Galatians chapter 5, specifically verses 16 verse tw- and verse 25. We'll start there, verse 16 and verse 25 of Galatians 5. Here's what Paul says to the Galatian church. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Mm -hmm. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And then in chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, he says the answer here. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Mm-hmm. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Mm-hmm. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Yeah. So there's our answer, Chad. Mm-hmm. It does actually take effort. Yeah. But we don't get to choose the gift that we get. No. We have to seek the Spirit. Mm-hmm. How do we do that, Chad, practically? Well... If we understand the Holy Spirit rightly, which we should, the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote the scriptures through man. So the primary way that we pursue the Holy Spirit is through the understanding of God's word. Yes. <laughs> is learning and understanding and gathering the correct meaning of God's word and applying it and obeying it. And the Holy Spirit's job is uh, a way to see this is he works within us to help our conscience and our heart agree with the word of God Mm -hmm. and to walk in abiding with it. Yeah. That is what it means to pursue the spirit. This is not an emotionalism. It's not a, it's not whatever you you think. It's not ecstasy. It's not ecstasy. Yeah. It's pursuing what he wrote down. The, one of the jobs of the Holy spirit was in obviously the Trinity, God, the father, son, Holy spirit. So this is God's word speaking to us through us, and we're to be convicted by it, to repent. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us when we read the Word and see the, the error that we have. Yeah. And to repent. One of the gifts of being in, in Christ is the ability to repent. Yes. And all those things. And so that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Yeah. And I love how you brought up repentance because mm-hmm. like, I think so often um, we just sort of gloss over that. Yeah. You know, it's like, no. Paul just said, if you if you sow into the flesh, you will reap corruption, mm-hmm. which is to say, 
if you do not repent from yeah. your sin, that happens every day, yeah. right? You will reap corruption. Mm-hmm. God is not mocked. Don't be deceived, he says. Yeah. You will get this. It's obvious. I love the principle of sowing and reaping because right. it's, anybody can understand it, yeah. right? But he says what? If you sow into the spirit, mm-hmm. which is to walk in the spirit, which is, you know, when I really understood this, it means this, to, to, to look for ways to sow into the spirit is to look for ways actively to practice love joy, peace, mm-hmm. patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right. This is what it means practically. By the grace of our Lord, through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, I, Mike, mm-hmm. have to focus my mind mm-hmm. on those things. And it's the knowledge of the Word of God that gives you the, the principles and the commands that help you practice those things. Yeah. The truth of His character, the truth of who He is, the truth of eternity, the truth of of who we are, the truth of sin, the truth of... like, Yeah. That's what the Word of God does that gives us that clarity on what it means to walk with God and deny our flesh. So good. Well, let's move on then to verse 2. So Paul says, look, like persecute love. Like, go after it with everything you have, but also set your heart on these spiritual gifts, but especially, Mm -hmm. but especially that you may prophesy. Okay, so look, I love your enthusiasm. Okay, don't lose that. Right. Here's where it needs to be pointed at. Prophesy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, prophesy again is another one that has really been blown out of yeah. its biblical context. What yeah. does it mean? Okay, the Greek word means simply this: to foretell, to tell forth, or to prophesy. It could be used in this way: I set forth matter of divine teaching by special faculty. In other words. It's to speak forth in a divinely empowered forth telling. Mm-hmm. That's what it's a divinely empowered forth telling. Yeah. Now, it can mean telling the future. It very rarely in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, does mean that. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not normative. That's not yeah. its normal meaning. Okay. There was a point in time uh, through the prophet prophetic ministry in the Old Testament mm-hmm. where God was pouring out his revelation through his prophets. And you mm-hmm. can go read that. It's phenomenal. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. He also did do that in the New Testament during this overlapping age, as I like to yeah. refer to it now, yeah. right? We see this. Acts chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, a yeah. prophet named Agabus gets up, talks about a famine. There's all kinds of places, right? Mm-hmm. But the point here is, is that the, the term prophecy is not used in its normative sense to refer to telling the future. Yeah. Okay? This is not a tarot card thing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? It is to t- put forth the mind of God about a matter. Yeah, to tell the truth. Basically to speak God's word. There you go, right? That's what you it can is. say. Thus says the Lord, if you're quoting Scripture. Exactly, <laughs> and um, that's how it is now lived out in this age. Yeah. There's there's no more need for prophetic uh, future telling, if you will, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament ways, as you said that that part has ceased. Why? Because we have the full revelation of God now. That's right. So now prophecy looks like preaching the word, mm-hmm. teaching the word telling someone rebuking from the word like that is what prophecy is now in fact what we're doing right now we're currently prophesying yeah we currently are we are setting forth the mind of god we are teaching the scriptures to you the listener Mm -hmm. and so paul says look if you're going to direct your energy and efforts towards something directed towards this and he goes on to say this for one who speaks in a tongue now remember singular usage of the term there for one who speaks in an ecstatic utterance is what I'll try to say when I see this singular term. For one who does this does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, 
but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies mm. speaks to men for three purposes, edification, exhortation, and encouragement. Verse four, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Okay, mm. so first little unit here. Now, I know someone that is a big advocate of speaking in tongues is going to look at verse two and go, see, you speak to God, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, you do. But remember the pagan context. Yeah. That is the Greek word theos. It means the supreme being, or it can just refer to the deities. Yeah. Right? It can mean demonic things. Of course. So, the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Be careful. And remember, this comes off of love. What's the purpose of love is to love others. Mm -hmm. So why would you want to only speak to God, like to be selfish in that way? Right. Right? Like that wouldn't make any sense. Verse 4 is very important as well because he's already said one of the principles that he's reiterating in verse 4. He says, if you speak in a tongue, if you speak in an ecstatic utterance, you edify yourself but one who prophesies edifies the church. Well, if you go back to chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, here's what Paul says about edifying yourself. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but that of the other person. Mm. Okay, let no one seek his own good, but that of the other person. So again, sure, if you speak in an ecstatic utterance, yeah, you're definitely speaking to the spiritual realm because nobody here in the physical realm has any idea what you're saying. Therefore, they can't be built up by it, right? Yeah. They have no clue what you're saying. Yeah. So sure, yeah, you're speaking to God. Paul is, by the way, taking on a very sarcastic tone throughout this whole yeah, section. exactly. You're speaking to Theos for sure, yeah. but I don't know what you're saying, and no right. one else knows what you're saying. And are you speaking to the one true God, or are you speaking well, to what, what God, Theos so. is it, right? Yeah. So... That's that's an important point to stop for a second on. Mm -hmm. Christian, if you're doing this, okay, and you aren't speaking a known language, okay, there is a chance mm -hmm. that you could be interacting with a spirit. Mm -hmm. We don't know what spirit that is. Yeah. And remember, Satan comes to the angel of light. Right. Be very careful. I don't want to mess around with wicked spirits. No. All right? I did that in my past. I don't ever want to do it again. Yeah. It it's super gnarly. It doesn't turn out well. No, it does not. But if you prophesy, Paul says in verse 3, you speak to men for edification, exhortation, and encouragement. The, those are three very similar things, but they're not all the same. Mm -hmm. Encouragement is literally a calling or summons. It has legal overtones. So if I'm trying to encourage one, it's really what I'm trying to do is reveal how the Lord weighs in on the, the relevant facts of whatever we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So if I'm trying to, let's say, encourage one to repent, I would say, do you understand that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience? So if you continue to practice those things, this is what the Bible says, you will fall under the wrath of God. Yeah. Let me encourage you, repent. Mm -hmm. That's an example of what Paul's saying. Yeah. Slightly different than an exhortation, which literally exhortation here is near speech. In classical Greek, it was used for the purpose of persuasion. So I'm trying to persuade people. When I preach or when you preach, Chad, what are we doing up there? We're doing all three of these things. Mm -hmm. We're encouraging people. We're exhorting people. Okay, right. we're, and we're edifying the church. Yeah. Trying to persuade them. Leave the old life. Right. Come to the newness of life. Right. And so Paul really wants these Corinthians who are very eager, who are extremely eager mm -hmm. <laughs> for these spiritual gifts, to pursue the ones that will make a difference in the kingdom of God. Yeah. That will just make you feel good about your quote-unquote spiritual life. Yeah. The whole point is to mature the body. To The whole point of our lives is to glorify God and, and God makes it clear that his, his goal for the believer is to 
sanctify us and make us holy as he is holy, to, mm-hmm. to have a holy people. Anything that doesn't um, turn towards that end really isn't godly. Yeah, It isn't what God has for us. It, so at the best, it's worthless. At the worst, it could be um, worshiping someone other than God. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what we'll do here, Chad, is stop there. Yeah. Because we got a lot to do. Right. And um, I've, I've really enjoyed this, and I can't wait to get back on here. Mm-hmm. But let me encourage you, as we've just said. Yeah. If, if you are someone who has never experienced, you know, any of the sort of debates or arguments that we're discussing, that's awesome. All right? Because, look, we don't want you. It's easier to teach someone the truth than have to go back and unteach yeah. the false thing and then teach the new thing. Yeah. Here's the reality, that tongues was a sign gift used during a very unique portion of ecclesiastical history, of of the church history, okay? Mm -hmm. Why was it used? We described why. It was used to verify the inclusion of Gentile groups into the new covenant people Mm -hmm. of God. Mm -hmm. It was reversing what happened in the Tower of Babel, right? It was unifying all of the people who are at once together, but then scattered by God. It's now unifying them not under one common language, but under one common theme, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's why tongues was utilized. End of story. That's it. That's it. It does not mean that if you've never spoken in this language, you're not saved. No. It doesn't mean that. No. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit as evidenced by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as evidenced by a manifestly new life, Mm -hmm then you can be assured if you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you love other people, you can be assured of your salvation. And the one thing I'll encourage you with, if you're wondering, am I truly saved? If if you were looking to these types of things in order to give you some sort of approval, um, don't look there. Look at what God has already given us. Read and study the letter of 1 John. Mm -hmm. We've done a podcast on it before. The whole point of that letter is so you may know you have eternal life. You want to know what the characteristics of one who has eternal life and what it looks like to be a true believer, study that letter. Mm -hmm. And that's what you should hang your hat on, if you will. Yes. The sure evidence of a transformed heart uh, is found in that book. I'm glad you brought that up. That's right. And it's so clear. It's so clear. Mm -hmm. Well, we thank you for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project Podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.